today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. They turned away from Simon's black magic. They turned away from his sorcery. They turned away from his occult activities in order to be able to worship the one true God of the universe. They surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. They were no longer impressed by the parlor tricks or the demonic deeds that were empowered by darkness. And beloved, I believe that Simon missed that attention. He had been somebody before. And now, as God moves in on the scene, he wasn't. We quickly understand Simon's heart hadn't been humbled at all. He hadn't been humbled before God. He hadn't been humbled before the people. God sent his faithful servants out among the Gentile and pagan nations to preach his name. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit in these early servants, the number of believers continued to grow and multiply. But as Pastor David will explain today, not all believed truly for salvation. Some people declare belief for the wrong reasons. Simon the Magician believed in God in order to try and obtain the power of the Spirit. Are you believing in Jesus for salvation, desiring to give glory to God and not just hoping for gain? Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 8 as he continues his message, God's Word on the Move, Samaria. So Philip was faithful in the work God was calling. And because of that, we see the evidence of this coming really quickly. Look what it says in verse 6. The multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. I think it's pretty clear here that many were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They were heeding the words of Philip as he continued to preach the word, as he continued to proclaim Christ to them. And as they were coming to faith in Jesus, we're going to read in a moment, they were also faithful to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. The very fact that Philip went to Samaria is interesting. All through New Testament times, we realize that the people in Samaria were, were, were looked down upon by the Jews because they were, in essence, a, a mixture of Gentile and Jews. They weren't a pure Jew like, again, those that could trace their family roots on both sides all the way back down to the sons of Jacob. The Jews avoided Samaria every chance that they could get. And we don't know what city it was that Philip went into, but we do see the great results of the preaching of the gospel to those that are there in that city. And one of those that heard the message, one of those that at least received it to to a, a portion was a man by the name of Simon. We know of him as Simon the magician or Simon the sorcerer. Look what it says in verse nine. 
But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed, when the people of Samaria, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And when Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. I'm going to stop right here and actually take some time with Simon. Simon was a man who wanted power. He wanted recognition. He wanted notoriety. We see this by what he was before, and even we'll see further in this passage. He was a man that desired power so much that he had willingly gone into sorcery, into demonic activity. He was opening himself up to these things in order to be able to impress the people that were around him. Now, we don't know for certain all that Simon did, what kind of tricks or amazing things that he he did for the people that got their attention, but we do know that the word simply tells us there in those verses, he had previously practiced sorcery, he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming he was someone great, They all gave heed, saying, this man is the great power of God, and because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Some sort of power, demonic at its very core, and yet it seems as though the Spirit of God was now going to break through all of this into Simon's life. The unfortunate thing is we're going to see that the influence of power and authority remained in Simon's heart. We'll look at that in a moment. But here, Luke tells us that, one, that, that, that once Simon heard the gospel message, once he saw many people coming to faith in Jesus and being baptized, that Simon himself believed also and was baptized. Verse 11, then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. I have no doubt that Simon was amazed by what was going on. These miracles that were happening, people being delivered from demonic possession, people who were lame, people who were paralyzed, again, coming to full use now of their bodies, absolutely amazed. I have no doubt that Simon was impressed by all of that. I have no doubt that he was astonished to see that as these people came to Jesus, as they were baptized, as they were released, as they were set free, that joy filled their lives. And I have no doubt that Simon was seeing the real power of God at work. And as Simon began to walk with Philip, and as he saw the power of God through these miracles and through these signs, Simon would have quickly seen that the power of the Holy Spirit in Philip's life and in the work that was being done there among the people was much, much stronger than anything he had ever had 
from his demonic, from his occultic practices. He could see, man, that is much more powerful than what I had in my life. God was moving in that village and nothing else could even begin to compare to the power of God in these people's lives. Remember, Simon had had power before. Simon had had authority before. People were, were amazed at what Simon was able to do. At one point, they were saying, this man is the great power of God. But now, not only do these people see the real power of God, and I believe something in Simon's heart clicked. I want to have some of that power. I want to have that power in my life. And you would think that would be a good thing, but the problem is I believe that Simon's motive was totally incorrect. I think that it's pretty evident that Simon, quote unquote, you know the air quotes, he believed. And he was baptized. But I believe that all of this went about simply because he wanted the power that he saw demonstrated through Philip. When we say that Simon believed, the question is, is, did he really believe unto salvation? And that's the hard question, and we're going to look at that again in just a moment. Once the church leaders in Jerusalem heard that there were Samaritans who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, those up in Jerusalem, they had to come down and check this out. They had to investigate what's going on. Let's continue on. Let's look at verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to pause and, and, and take a little bit of explanation here. This event in Samaria was long before uh, the Apostle Paul's conversion and, and much longer than that before Paul started ministering to the Gentiles. These Samaritans, they had been hated for generations by the Jews. And now you're telling me they're becoming Christians. What do I do with that? These people that I didn't believe that God, that God even cared about now, not only are they, am I learning that God's love for them is true, but they're becoming Christians. That was something that now the church in Jerusalem had to go and investigate. They sent Peter and John down there to find out what's taking place. Now, another thing that you and I need to understand is that the actions, the activities of what's going on in Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 10, you need to understand this is a time of the birth of the church. It's a time of beginning. It's a time of transitions. The message of the gospel and the kingdom of God was moving strategically according to God's plan as it went from the Jews, then to the Samaritans, and then to the Gentiles on throughout the whole world. But we need to see, we need to understand that many, not all of them, but many of these events, many of these activities that happened in these times of beginnings weren't the standard. They weren't going to be happening that way all the time. Many, not all, but many of these actions, even the actions of how the Holy Spirit is ministering at this point here in the church, it's 
transitional. It's temporary. We need to be careful if we take, uh, again, take and, and place our doctrine, place our church practices on all that we see in Acts chapter 1 through 10. When Peter and John came down to Samaria, they came to a people who had previously been separated from the Jews, separated, again, from the kingdom of God. They were separated from God and what God was doing in the church. The gospel went out to the Jew first. Paul makes that really clear in the book of Romans. He said to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So God had been doing this work in the church there in Jerusalem, and now it's beginning to spread out. These here in Samaria, they had believed, they had been baptized, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. Later in uh, chapter 10 of the book of Acts, Peter is speaking to the house of Cornelius. And when Cornelius is a Gentile, and even while Peter is speaking to the people there in Cornelius' house, they believed and the Holy Spirit came upon them, but he came upon them prior to their being baptized, and Peter did not lay his hands on anyone at that point. He was simply preaching the word, and the Holy Spirit came down upon them. So for Cornelius, we see different happenings than what we see in Samaria. In Samaria, we see different happenings than what we saw in Jerusalem. So we need to be careful about setting doctrine, setting practice on everything that we see in Acts chapter 1 through 10. Too many times the Spirit of God is working in a different order, a different direction than what we might expect. So now let's get back to Acts 8 and look at verse 17. When they, that's Peter and John, laid hands on them, that's the new believers in Samaria, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I don't think you have to have the gift of discernment to realize that Simon's heart is a little out of whack at this point. Uh, I don't think there's any, any real depth of understanding. You realize, no, this guy wants to pay to have power. And he sees a power much greater than anything that he's done, and he's willing to pay for it. That's probably how he obtained his abilities in sorcery and in magic. He probably paid somebody years ago to teach him the dark arts, the black magic, the, the sorcery, he, when he opened himself up to all this demonic opportunity. Now he thought he could pay the apostles to be trained or to receive the power of God so that I believe he could impress people once again before people had hailed him as the great power of God. But now the people, they received the gospel. Now they had been impacted by the power of God. They turned away from Simon's black magic. They turned away from his sorcery. They turned away from his occult activities in order to be able to worship the one true God of the universe. They surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. They were no longer impressed by the parlor tricks or the demonic deeds that were empowered by darkness. And beloved, I believe that Simon missed that attention. He had been somebody before. And now, as God moves in on the scene, he wasn't. We quickly understand Simon's heart hadn't been humbled at all. He hadn't been humbled before God. He hadn't been humbled before the people. 
He might have said a few words in his belief. He might have been baptized with water, as the scripture says. But now, I believe that by his words and by his very actions, he shows that there's something darker and something deeper that's still controlling his life. When he saw lives changed by the power of the gospel, it's interesting as we read this, he he didn't ask, well, how can I share that message of the gospel? Teach me to witness or to share the message of the gospel so that people's lives could be changed. No, he wanted the supernatural power. He wanted to do signs and wonders. He wanted to impress people with what he was able to do. He saw that power not to change lives, but to make himself out to be something that he definitely wasn't. Isn't that the problem that they had earlier on? with a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted people to think that they were something when they really weren't all that they were pretending to be. What did God do with Ananias and Sapphira? Boom, they were gone. They, they died on the spot. Even as Peter, once again, it was Peter that talked to him, let's put in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, boom, they're dead. I, I kind of think, okay, this is my weird thinking here. I think that as Peter is even talking to Simon, And verse 20 says, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. I believe that probably Peter was waiting for God to strike him dead right there (laughs) because he saw that Simon was not where he said he was, pretended to be, and where he should have been. Peter goes on, verse 22. He tells Simon, you need to repent from your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and you are bound by iniquity. And guys, Simon's response to Peter's charge to him speaks volumes. He was told to repent. But we don't read anywhere where he repented. There's no confession for him. There's no confession of his walking to bitterness. It's not like he came to Peter and says, you know, man, I confess these things before God. May God forgive me. No, what happens? His answer to the apostles is half-hearted. I believe that it's empty. I believe that it's totally self-centered. Verse 24, Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. Oh yeah, there's no repentance there. There's no confession there at all. Just pray that I don't get punished for the way that I'm living my life. Just pray that God still accepts me without confession, without repentance. Just pray that these things won't happen. Hey, I don't want to go to hell, but I'm not ready to repent yet. So could you pray for me? Weird thing is, we don't know whatever happened to Simon. The book of Acts, I mean, that's, that's it with Simon. We don't read of him anymore. Uh, verse 25 simply says, so when they, the apostles, had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem 
preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now tradition, uh, there's a lot of traditions about Simon, but nothing real solid. Tradition tells us that uh, he was the founder of part of what's known as the Gnostic heresies. Some say that he went to Rome and he actually uh, perverted the Christian doctrines there from Rome. We, we just don't know. But here the Bible tells us nothing else about Simon. Absolutely nothing about his repentance, nothing about his restoration. And beloved, repentance and restoration are the stories we'd love to hear. Yeah, we see somebody whose lives is all messed up and then we read and, or we hear the testimony of, again, repentance in a life and God restores them. Don't we love to hear those stories of how God works and moves? God still restores lives. God still reconciles lives. But beloved, it doesn't happen unless there is repentance first. And if we are not willing to repent, if we like Simon, oh, I just pray that either I don't get caught or that God will just overlook my sin. Pray that these things don't come upon me. I tell you today on the authority of God's word, there is always opportunity for reconciliation, but not without repentance. The holiness of our God demands that we walk humbly before him. And his word continually tells us that if sin is found in our lives, we need to confess it, we need to repent of it, and we need to purge it from our lives. If we don't know Jesus Christ, we need to come to fall on our face before him. Receive the forgiveness that Christ and Christ alone offers. If we know Christ and sin is in our life and continually abiding, there is a breaking of the fellowship of what we have in Christ until we come to that point of confession and repentance. Beloved, confession without repentance is still empty. It's got to be re confession, repentance, and then reconciliation comes. And the seriousness of this actually comes all the way from the instructions of the Lord Jesus back in the Gospels on several occasions. I'll read you one. It's in Matthew 18. You don't need to turn there, but you can mark it. Look at it later. Matthew 18, verse 8. Jesus talking. He said, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you. Because it's better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. He goes on from there. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. Because it's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast into hellfire. Beloved, these are hard things. These are the things that people by and large don't want to hear. But the reality of it is that if we're not ready to confess and to repent, then we're not ready to receive the salvation of God. Now, I need to throw this in here. I don't want any of you coming back next week with only one arm or one eye. That's, that's not where we're going with this. But very likely there's things in your life that need to get changed. We just need to confess, we need to repent, and we need to turn from. 
We're so glad you could be with us today as we opened God's Word and dove into the goodness and truth the Bible contains. If you've missed any part of today's message in Acts, we encourage you to refer to our website, calvarycg.org. Once there, you can browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of the Open Word. We'd love to hear from you about how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If you prefer accessing information through social media, visit our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word. Just go to theopenword.com. You'll be directed right to our page. You'll be able to explore more of Pastor David's audio there as well. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into the Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again. Or simply let your Bible fall open. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. And I hope you'll join me again next time on The Open Word. Make a small-